Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out of money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. Today, it's my honor to introduce Dan and Natalie Slagle to the podcast. They are a very special couple because they are both CFP financial planning professionals. They're part of the XY Planning Network community of fee-only advisors, and they love working with couples in the financial planning process. So I look forward to picking their brain and seeing how do they help couples move through the financial planning process. Dan, Natalie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us, Ed. Hey, Ed. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So glad to have the two of you here. It's not every day that I meet financial planning partners that are also married. That's, I think, a special combination. It is a special combination. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, a, it's a reason why this, is, this exists right now. It's pretty fun. It, you know, I'm going to put it out there. You guys are role models for couples doing money together on multiple levels. Do you see yourselves that way? Uh, I was was just going to say, I appreciate you saying that. It's not every day that we look at ourselves as role models for other couples, but at the end of the day, that is why we started our business. So the the thought behind everything that we do was to bring couples closer at the end of the day and and help couples use money as a tool to to do that. That's so incredible. I just, I even imagine of all the couples out there in the world, how many of them had parents that sat down and effectively talked about finances together? And certainly you are not your client's parents, but you are a model, a different image of a married couple talking about money. That's probably different. Does that come up in conversations with your clients at all? Certainly. We talk a lot about the past with our clients and a lot of that past obviously starts before the couple was together. I don't think that's addressed very often. And so we like to have that part of the conversation. You know, what was money like when you were growing up? And we want both partners there in the conversation so both can hear the stories. And I'm sure it was told, you know, before we came on board, but maybe not in this intentional setting. Like, this isn't just a story that we're going to talk about at dinner. This is a story to give reason behind the numbers that we're all looking at right now. And let's make sure we bring that story to the conversation because it's very much impacting everything we're working on together right here, right now. How did the two of you get to the conviction that the story that precedes the couple is so important? Because it's, it's happened with us. We, the reason why we started Fuse was because Dan and I are CFP professionals. We've been in this industry for quite a while now. We know a thing or two about money. Like we, we can make pretty good financial decisions together. If anything, better than most couples because we're experts. And yet we were still finding ourselves arguing over money, disagreeing about what decision to make. And we're like, why is this happening? Shouldn't it be so easy for us? And it wasn't. 
we would still have arguments and we're like, something's missing. Like you can't, you can't just have the technical knowledge. You have to have so much more and so many more in-depth conversations and a lot of compromise. It's not just these black and white decisions when it comes to your money, as I'm, I'm sure you very much know. I, I am smiling ear to ear as I'm hearing you describe this, Natalie, is the two of you are a power financial planning couple, right? Like there are not too many couples where both people have the depth of knowledge of financial planning. And yet you found what I found to be true is just having the technical knowledge of financial planning isn't always enough to get through the conversations. Is that exactly. I mean, effectively what you're saying, right? Is like, there's a lot more than understanding compound interest or tax efficient investing or the right insurance policy to have. It's about meaning and purpose and fear and anxiety and trust. And we don't exactly. get a lot of training on how to navigate those parts of money in financial planning. No, no. I, I do feel like there's there's been some uh, in kind of the evolution of financial planning, especially in the last five or 10 years because of people like you, Ed, really showing the importance of kind of getting out of the technical side bit. So thank you for you and other professionals out there because this is so important. Important. We, we have clients at all different spectrums of wealth. And sometimes, you know, in our world where we see on the lower side of that wealth number, people are so confident and so happy. And then we can have people at the higher spectrum of wealth who are just devastated and stressed about their financial situation. And then you have everything in between. So I, I love the experience of working with a client for the first time and just laying out the net worth statement and say, how does this make you feel? Oh my God. This is music to my ears, Natalie. I was just telling, who was I telling? I was just telling somebody, I would love it if my financial planner would just ask me, Ed, how do you feel about your net worth? Exactly. That's, but I think for a lot of financial planners, that's a scary question to ask. It is a scary question. Like what happens if they say, I'm miserable or I'm upset or I'm scared or I'm anxious. <gasps> what do I do? So mm-hmm. when people have those more difficult reactions, what do you and Dan do? How do you help them start to process and deal with the difficult or, and sometimes even air quotes, undesirable feelings about money? I think, you know, for us, we first acknowledge those feelings, right? Mm-hmm. We can't just ignore how clients are feeling if we ask that question and the response may be negative, but we have to set ourselves up and set our, our clients up to just make small incremental changes because we can't change everything at once. Mm. So the taking bite-sized pieces and making a plan to help improve over the trajectory of their lives and showing that to them, that gives them the confidence. They might not feel it right away, Mm-hmm. But we've had clients where we show them a, a net worth statement and it's hundreds of thousands of dollars in the negative trajectory mm-hmm. uh-huh. because maybe they're a doctor, maybe they have large student loans, but right. we show them this is how you can get to a positive net worth. And we have clients who are, who are like, once I get there, I'm going to have a party because my net worth is zero, right? So it's all about uh-huh. reframing where they're at today and how they can get to a better position, both 
from the money standpoint and even more importantly, from an emotional component. I'm not sure if you guys were at the recent XY conference in Denver. Were you guys there? Yes, we were. Did you guys see Dr. Sarah Newcomb's presentation on wealth and well-being? We did not. Okay. So in, in short, she kind of created, you know, like a good planner, statistician, created quadrants. And she talked about like the Ebenezer Scrooge, like they have all the money, but they have no psychological satisfaction. And then like on this other, on the X axis, they, you have like the spendthrift who has like no money, but plenty of pleasure and happiness in their life. And she said, you know, as financial planners, we're trying to help people find this place of like having money and having pleasure together. Right. And that's kind of what I'm hearing you guys describe is like, yeah, let's, let's help you improve the numbers, but let's also have you feeling good about that. And let's help you go on that journey. And it's, Dan, you said it's an incremental journey. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can't, we can't do it all at once, right? We have to, we have to pick out what's most important in our lens as the financial planners, but also for the client and what the client ultimately wants to achieve and, and get out of everything. Oh, that raises, Natalie, it looks like you got something right on the tip of your tongue. So I'm going to well, what you say. One thing that, that we need to address here because of the topic that we're talking on is sometimes we'll have a couple where we'll say, how do you feel about this? And one person will say, I am so stinking proud. I'm shocked to see what our numbers are. And then you go to the other partner, how do you feel about this? And they say, this isn't nearly as good as I, as I think we should be. Like, this is devastating. And so when you have opposite feelings... Like maybe we're doing the same exact thing, but we're doing the same exact thing from a tactical standpoint, but we're actually trying to achieve very different emotional outcomes for each partner. And I think that's why maybe a lot of financial planners um, kind of step away from this side of financial planning because it's so hard. If anything, the technical side is easy, but the emotional side, when you have two different people, two different stories, two different emotions, it is tough to balance. It is really tough to balance, and I really appreciate you naming it. I'm glad we're talking about net worth, and, and I'm curious to know, um, golly, there's so many paths I want to go. So one, I just want to say kudos to the two of you for like even evoking these conversations and being comfortable and being able to recognize, like, hey, if they have different responses, we need to know that as much as if they're on the same page. Like, I think the assumption oftentimes is we want all of our clients to be happy, healthy, high-functioning individuals. And that they're pleased with everything. And if, if they're not that, then we get nervous. But what it sounds like the two of you are really creating space for just being however you are right now around your finances. And we're just going to acknowledge that. And if you guys are different, we're going to acknowledge that. And then we'll, we'll see where we can go from there. And so I guess also my assumption is a lot of clients get really focused on their spending and their budget and trying to get that under control and they miss the whole net worth picture. So I'm wondering from a financial planning standpoint, when you're working with your clients, do you focus first on their net worth and then on their spending or do you focus on their spending and then their net worth or is it a little more circular or, or do you start with estate planning? Actually, so our, our kind of pattern there is the net worth and the cash flow is in our first, what we call our first technical meeting together, uh -huh. right? And so 
first we look at the net worth because we just want to like, these are all the things you have when it comes to your resources, when it comes to your money. This is what you have. Let's talk about how we feel about that. And then from there, we, we really don't look at the net worth statement for some time, like maybe months and months, because it is so focused on cash flow. We are, I like to say we're a cash flow focused financial advising firm before anything else, since cash flow really drives all of our financial decisions. It drives our investments, our insurance recommendations, our net worth, you know, all the things. So we just like to stay like, okay, let's, let's take a peek under the hood. Let's look at the net worth and then let's focus a lot of our time and energy on cash flow. Okay. How many of the couples that are coming to you are already pretty up to speed on their net worth? And how many of them, it's like, this is the first time that we've really looked at this together? I think most, it's the first time that they've looked at it together. We may have one, if a couple came to us, we may have one partner who will say, after we show it to them, oh, I was thinking that the number was close to this. Uh, And the other person maybe had no idea, right? So I would say for most of our clients, it is the first time they're looking at it together. We see a lot of clarity and I, I have really undervalued that as a offering that financial planners do is just create clarity on their financial situation. And looking at, you know, a balance sheet or net worth statement is really a great way to start providing that clarity because Almost always, we go through section by section, let's talk about cash, investments, property, debt, so on and so forth. Almost every time we do that, they're like, oh yeah, I forgot about something. Oh yeah, there's this account. And just creating clarity can be an extremely valuable exercise for clients to really understand what's going on, whether it's accounts, debt, where they're at, where they should be, things like that. I love the opportunity to give clients that sense of clarity. And it, and maybe, you know, that it's not a, like you get the clarity and then you're not happy with it, or maybe you get the clarity and you are. Regardless, let's start with the clarity and go from there. I, I love that confidence that we need to get to clarity no matter what. Like, and I'm going to be here with you. And if your reaction's not so great, then we'll work with that. And if your reaction's great, then we'll work with that. But instead of, you know, kind of being a conspirator with them and not looking at the numbers, right? This is, in my training as a therapist, I work so much in the subjective space that we don't always look at objective data. And yet the beauty of financial planning is we're looking at your objective data, this is what your credit card balance is. This is the interest rate. This is what this objectively means mathematically. This is your 401k balance. This is how your assets are allocated. This is what this will mean. And so that's really so valuable is just the clarity of seeing it. I mean, I can remember one couple I was working with thinking about net worth where he was terrified to show her the net worth. Just terrified that she might reject him or something. Right. And so I think that there's a lot of fears that people have around looking at their finances together. And I imagine the two of you just in the the handful of time that we're getting to know each other, you give the couple a lot of confidence that we can look at this and it's going to be okay. Yeah. It's kind of that exercise where, you know, we don't, we don't get to do this physically with our clients as much, but when you put things on paper and everyone looks at the paper, 
rather than each other, right? It's like, this is the situation. Let's, let's put our focus there instead of each other and, and everything else. And so we're trying to kind of do that too. Like, this is what we have to work with. No one's pointing fingers at anyone. Like, this is what we have. And now collectively, everyone needs to do their part to continue to grow um, to a, you know, that financial freedom state that we're all trying to get to. And it's just a, it's a powerful experience because so many of our clients come to us and they say, we have a lot going on. I feel lost. I don't feel like I know what's going on from a household day-to-day financial perspective. And we just need to get on the same page. So this then probably comes into that cash flow piece. Is that what you're, you're saying? Mm-hmm. And so how do the two of you help your couple start to get clarity on their cash flow and what's actually happening? Walk me through, I mean, make it as simple, like foundational. Let's not, you know, miss, miss anything. What's that process look like? Natalie is the cash flow queen. So I'm going to let her describe this whole process for you, Ed. Uh, I, I appreciate that acknowledgement, Dan. That, that's, I like that. Go ahead, I love, Natalie. Let's. I love cash flow. And Dan knows this both from a professional and personal level. I know when we were like first starting to commingle our, our finances, I was emailing him at work every day like, okay, this is what we have going on for cash flow. This is how much we have left to spend for the month. And Dan was like, what is going on? But he's used to me now. Um, so with our clients, it's the same thing. It's all about that clarity, right? So we've got this in the bank. We've got these many, like I even like to lay out, these are all the credit cards you have and use. Like, and a lot of times people have a lot. And then when I start asking questions, well, what do you use this credit card for? Why do you use it? Why do you have this bank account? Why, why don't you have this bank account? Like, and it's never to be accusatory, but if you don't have a reason for something financially going on in your life, then that's probably, you know, in between an orange or a red flag. And so we just kind of start off with that clarity. Bank accounts, why do we have the bank accounts? Credit cards, why do we have the credit cards? And I even like to say, this bank account is paying off this credit card. This paycheck is going into this account. And I start to like build out the web because usually what happens is it's just a mess and it's confusing. And if I'm confused as a professional in finance, I can't imagine how they're feeling. So that's not every client, of course, but absolutely a majority. There's just all these cards, all these bank accounts, all these weird paycheck contributions. And a lot of times because we work with clients in their 30s, they're like, we kind of still have it set up the same exact way before we were married or before we were in a committed partnership. And so that is step number one is just laying everything out and kind of building out that web of what's paying off, what's money's going to what account. And then just having kind of like just presenting like, this is what I see what's happening. Can you explain it to me? And if they are having trouble explaining it, then I'm like, sounds like we need to readjust. So I'm imagining like, do you do this on a whiteboard? Do you do this in a spreadsheet? Like, how do you start mapping? Because I, I can imagine where people, like in this season of life, I, I did this to allocate to that. And then something else, you go down the life and then it's like, <laughs> but now I have this money. So then I allocate this. And, you know, the, I think the term we use in the field is mental accounting. So it's like, mm-hmm. right, a dollar earned is a dollar earned no matter where it comes from. And it can be put anywhere. But we kind of create these rules of like, 
well, this portion of my paycheck covers this and their portion of the paycheck covers that. And it's like, man, really? Like, okay. I mean, so, you, right. so how do you actually map that and then show them basically the spaghetti bowl mess that they've created like <laughs> in a respectful way? Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well-being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy-informed financial planning, bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, Please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. So how do you actually map that and then show them basically the spaghetti bowl mess that they've created like <laughs> in a respectful way? I like the spaghetti bowl mess. We use a spreadsheet. And so... While when we're going through the data gathering process, we ask for bank account statements, credit card statements, and then we can see on those statements what, a, what account is paying off what or what is going into where. And then on our cash flow spreadsheet, which is essentially a budget uh, worksheet, but on the spreadsheet, we kind of have inform, like an information and notes column that says, it'll say, okay, this amount is being paid off towards the credit card each month. And we'll make a note exactly on where it's coming from. So we try to house all of that information into one spreadsheet. So you guys are using your own spreadsheets that you've created and you mm-hmm. take your clients, bank statements, credit card statements, and then have kind of a spreadsheet for each of those and we'll exactly. allocate. Okay. Yeah, that's, yes. that's spot on. The other thing that we, we do, which is really helpful, is we ask for the most recent pay statements from our clients because then we get a better understanding of what's actually hitting their bank account when it is deposited. And then, Because a lot of times what happens is clients get paid, even if it goes to one account, there's really no process in place of where the money is going from an outflow perspective. So that's where we come in and we, we start to break it down, right? You have your, your fixed expenses, your variable expenses. And because our clients are really in their late 20s, 30s, early 40s, it's really about continuing the momentum. So identifying some extra cash or surplus cash flow to then put that into savings or paying off debt to show them the impact because this is where that whole cash flow net worth conversation starts to really tie itself together. Right. So keep keep building that, keep explaining that so listeners can hear how you describe it. So one popular recommendation that we have is to increase retirement plan contributions. So we have a gross pay tab so that we can understand what's happening to all the money before it even hits their bank account. And then we have a net pay tab. And the net pay tab is where all the budgeting and notes takes place. So if our recommendation is you need to go from 5% of a retirement plan contribution to 15%, as financial planners, we do that all day long. We say, yeah, go do that. But from a realistic standpoint, I think clients are like, well, what does that mean for our grocery bill every month? Because that keeps Uh going up. So we then go back to the gross pay and we'll say, 
all right, 15% is this much per paycheck. We need to account for 10% more per paycheck. And then we kind of flow it down. It goes back to the net pay tab so they can see exactly when we start making these recommendations to contribute to retirement, withhold more in taxes, they can then see what does that mean for their day-to-day expenses? What, what does that mean for their bank account, their net pay? Because that like, I feel like financial planners tend to be a little too high level on that aspect. Uh-huh. Like, of course you should save more, right. but can you afford to? What, what sacrifices do we need to make in order to save more if that is indeed the top priority? Right. So if they're saying it's a top priority for us to be funding our retirement and we, we hear you and we see the 15% and they're trying to figure out where is that money going to come from, that 10% increase? Well, now you have all their budget information and all the categories. And is that where you're empowering them to say like, okay, well, I'll trim one or 2% from groceries and maybe one or 2% from education. And, and you just start walking them through like, where do you think you can trim a little bit? So that's, it just doesn't feel like, and I'm, I'm going to make up a number like all of a sudden we've got to come up with another $700 a month. How are we going to do that? It's mm-hmm. like, well, you may not get it all from one category. You may get a couple hundred dollars from each of the categories to get you to that total increase. Is that what I'm understanding? Yes. Yeah, so it can be very granular, like how you were just explaining it. But the other thing that Dan touched on was that we very much like to separate how much you're putting in savings outside of your payroll deduction. So it hits your bank account. A lot of people still save from there. So we separate savings, your debt obligations, which sometimes it is what it is. And then we have fixed expenses, which is all your bills. And then we have spending. Spending is usually the place, like if we need to trim the fat, that's the place we're going to go. And if couples, you know, bills might be three grand a month, spending might be three grand a month. It might be better if we just say, how about we just kind of trim spending by $300 a month? I don't care if it's less groceries, less restaurants, less clothes. Who cares? At the end of the day, like you were saying, a dollar here is a dollar there. So if we can just find in this category to trim whatever we need to trim, that's great. The other thing that tends to happen, I, I just met with a client yesterday about this, is they're having their first child, which is such an exciting time. It's also a very exciting time for a financial planner because there's lots of fun things. Uh-huh. And now we have to come up with two grand a month for childcare. We need to right. think about that in 2023. And so we kind of did the opposite where we started on the net pay tab and we put $2,000 a month for daycare. Let's just start seeing it and thinking about it. And then we went back to the gross pay tab and we said, let's actually bump down retirement plan contributions because this is probably one of the most expensive years of your life. You know, I'm I'm remembering not too long ago, my wife and I were working through a, a different transition, not a baby, but we were, we were very active retirement savers and it's like I was going to be reducing my income for a period of time and I was like loathe to think about stop saving for retirement like I just and you know we called our financial planner and said you know what should we do how are we going to do this and he basically walked us through what you just said right it's like okay here's where you're at here's what you've been saving you already have a history of saving you need to get through this period of time of adjustment so you need that money from retirement. It's okay. But I think some of us can get 
I know I'll speak for myself, very rigid about doing certain money behaviors and never stopping them, like saving for retirement. But this is where if you're working with a financial planner, you can see the data and you can help people recognize like, hey, you know what, six months of not saving for your retirement while you work through this baby transition and what that means is not going to materially negatively impact, especially for young couples that are in their mid-30s, right? And I, I imagine a number of your couples are high high income professionals as well. So they'll, they'll have time to catch up. Yeah. And, and this is, I like to call it a dance. So we always ask our clients before they even become clients, we ask them the question, what would a successful relationship look like with a financial planner? And a lot of times our clients more often than not will say, we're looking for someone to make us feel empowered to not necessarily give us the end all be all solution, but to lay out the options for us. And we take note of that. And it's our job at the end of the day to say, look, you've done an amazing job saving up to this point. You can afford, based on our projections, what we're showing, to take a pause or pair back on retirement savings to fund education for a year or to come up with $250 extra a month to put into a 529. And let's just let's go that route and know that life is going to constantly change and we just have to adapt to the process. When you frame it as a dance, what do you see happen in your clients' faces? I think there's a lot of excitement in their faces. And for me, a lot of times I like to see when a couple looks at each other on the opposite end of a screen and they say, that sounds like a great plan. And immediately they both understand it and they're ready to put that plan in motion. So... And I'm going to take the storyline a little bit back to the beginning of our conversation is I think you guys said at the beginning of your planning relationship with your clients, you asked them about their family history and about their money history. And so, you know, in the conversation we've been having, we've kind of been assuming like everything is going smoothly and, and this kind of feedback and process is really helpful. But I imagine some of your clients get stalled out at certain points in these conversations. What do you do then? And in light of knowing their money histories, how do you work with their money histories and when they do get stalled out and things aren't going so smooth on the cash flow planning side of things? Knowing their history, I think, helps us be better financial planners to them because sometimes, because we know numbers, we understand numbers, we understand the impact of things, we're so certain that our clients are going to be just fine financially. And so it, in the beginning, it would just, I would go crazy. I'm like, look at these numbers. I don't know what I need to do to make you feel better about this situation. Uh -huh. And because that's what our job is, is we're supposed to be financial fixers and make everything, you know, dandy and feel so great <laughs> and put little flowers on it and bows and, and package up the financial plan and say, here you go, I fixed all your problems. And what I've learned, especially since establishing our business, is that's not our job. And our job isn't also to fix their feelings. If they have a feeling about their financial situation, they hired us to make sure they're doing the right things and we're gonna do that for them. But I can't tell them, you need to be more confident in your finances. Like you, cause sometimes I have felt you're not grateful for your financial situation. And that makes me feel icky. And that oh, is not yeah. a good way to be a financial planner at all. And I'm like, then I think about, 
oh, you know what? You grew up in a really hard financial situation. You saw your parents fight about it. You didn't really have a lot of money growing up. You have never had this sense of security. And what I'm realizing is even when the numbers give you the sense of security, it's not enough for you. So there is more of a journey that they have to go on to get that sense of security than what I am professionally trained to provide them to do. I really appreciate that self-awareness. And that, I think, is, you know, when we think about this Venn diagram of working with clients where financial planning starts to end and financial therapy starts to pick up, Mm -hmm. right, is like the planner is not responsible for how you feel about your money. But you can help people get into greater clarity about how they're feeling about their money because sometimes those dots are not even connected. This is a beautiful example, I think, Natalie, of you now objectively have all the money that in air quote ideal circumstances would leave you feeling financially confident, right? The projection says you're going to be fine financially, but you're still terrified and you're ungrateful for having the money that you have and the income that you have. And that like, I've heard this from so many financial planners It just builds so much resentment in them towards their clients. Like you're being so ungrateful and I can't do anything to fix you. And this just pisses me off. And it's, and yet, you know, you're able now to reframe it and realize and remember, like, this is where this person is coming from. And they have a lot of fear and scarcity around money. And, okay, I can understand why that might leave them feeling ungrateful for what they have. And that's not my responsibility to resolve for them. So do you guys have the mental health counseling conversation with your clients? A lot of times I like to just present the question, what do you think you need to do to feel more confident in your situation? I feel like if I say you need to go see a financial therapist, it's kind of the same thing as if I told Dan, Dan, you need to go see a therapist. But if I ask questions like, what do you think you need to do to feel better about this? Or what do you think you need to do to get more confidence around this? Like, I kind of want to get them to go there. And they're like, I think I might need some help great. What kind of help do you you want? Like, maybe I need some help regarding how I think about my finances. Do you happen to know anyone? I'm like, yes, (laughs) it's not me. But like, I want, I want them to, to realize that because I, I know that if, if I project what I think is best for them, it's not going to be nearly as powerful as if they get to that point themselves. Okay, Dan, I got a question for you. Yeah. Is Natalie a rogue therapist? (laughs) Uh, Did she go to school to be a therapist? Yeah, sometimes I feel that way. No, I I think since starting our business, Natalie has really leaned into that and like better, like understanding how to ask really good questions and help people self-discover what they really need. I love that. So for people that are listening, most of the people that are listening are consumers of financial planning and therapy services, right? And so what I would want you hearing is both Dan and Natalie understand the secret sauce of helping people change. It's moving from this advice, I'm the expert on you telling you what to do, to the, I'm the expert at asking questions to help you discover what will help you change. Right. And you know what types of questions to ask and when to ask them and how to ask them in a way that's non-judgmental and non-critical, but safe for you to, to step into and be like, wow, you know, 
yeah, I guess I really do need some help around that. And then I love that your follow-up question, Allie, you know, like what kind of help do you think would be good? Yeah, I mean, someone that like understands emotions or feelings and money or something. Oh, that's cool. Do you think like a financial therapist might be a good? Yeah. And then they have ownership over it, right? And that's so, so empowering is um, I I know many people have felt very disempowered around their finances and like they want someone to just tell them what to do with their finances. And yet it sounds like the two of you have really cultivated a process where you'll give them guidance, but you also help them feel empowered on what decisions are best for themselves. Exactly. You know, going to your comment in the beginning that people see us as role models, it's hard for me to say yes to that. I'm still, you know, I I still need to grow into that role myself. But at the same time, I know our clients take our opinion very seriously. And there are times where I say, if I was in your situation, I would do this. Mm -hmm. I more so feel that our our responsibility is to raise the red flags and say, you should not do this. This is not good for your financial future. That we will do. But, you know, if we're all honest with ourselves, whether it's in therapy or finance, like there are a lot of ways to do the right thing. And so I, that's why we like to say, these are the options that we think are going to get you to where you need to be. And so why don't you select the one that makes you feel most secure? Wow. Dan, you have an incredible wife. I'm sure you know that already. I am one lucky man. I, I tell you, I have an incredible wife and an incredible business partner. Oh. You got the two for one special. Uh, yes, Natalie, I love this. You know, it reminds me of when I was exploring religion and spirituality, it was kind of this, I, I was stuck like, what's the one path to God? You know, like the one path that's going to get me there. And what's the real truth? And it's like this uh, Thomas Merton, I think, was writing about the seven story mountain or something like that. I don't, I may be blending some ideas, but anyhow, from that period of questioning came this real, that reality is like, there's many paths to understanding who God is. This is my own worldview now, so not imposing it on anybody. But I think we run into the same trap with religion and money. Like we want the one truth, the one right way to do it. And it's got it. Surely, you know, the one right way to create the wealth and financial security. It's like, well, actually I have some good news and challenging news for you. There's many paths to financial security. We know some of the major red flags and ways you probably don't want to go, but there is options for creating the financial life that you want. You don't have to be subject to the one right way. Exactly. Exactly. That even I I really like retirement projections in my job because it really just tells us, are we making the best decisions we possibly can today with what we know today? But I usually just will put it on the screen. We'll talk about it real quick. And then I take it away because I say everything you're looking at is wrong. It's not going to end up this way. We work with very young, you know, very young for our industry, like our average age is around 37. So it's, I'm, I'm like, do we honestly think this is how it's going to go? Heck no. And so we just have to be okay with not knowing what the future 
is going to hold for our finances. So let's just make the best decisions with what we know of today. You know, and selfishly, that provides a lot of job security because our clients' <laughs> financial situation are changing left and right. And I'm like, see, this is this is why you need us in your back pocket. And they absolutely agree. All right. So I'm going to switch this up a little bit. Natalie, what is something that Dan does really well to navigate money conversations between the two of you? Dan provides me the security. I'm the one that gets worried. I'm the one that has the scarcity mindset. Okay. And it feels really good when Dan says, we can afford that. You can't see Natalie's face, but I can. And she is smiling and has a sense of security because she knows she can turn to Dan with your scarcity mindset. Exactly. Exactly. He, you can be honest with him about how you're actually feeling. And Dan has learned how to show up for you and be in a very reassuring way. Yes, absolutely. And now to this whole point, I know it's something I need to work on. It is something I'm working on with the scarcity mindset. At the same time, Dan is meeting me where I'm at Mm. and not pushing me to say like, okay, let's go buy a brand new car because we can afford it. But just kind of planting the seeds, like we're okay. like if something broke down in our car right now and we had to get a new car, Natalie, we're going to be okay. But I know you don't want to go buy one right now, so we don't need to. But yeah. like just kind of that, not trying to push me to be somewhere I'm not comfortable with, uh-huh. under just meeting me where I'm at. Can I can I also add? Yeah, and I think this would be really important for listeners to know. About a year ago. We switched something up with our own household finances. Uh-huh. Natalie was keeping track of the day-to-day expenses and, and monitoring our, our monthly spending plan. Uh-huh. And there were a few months in a row where we overspent based on our like our own personal limits. And I could see that personally draining her physically, emotionally. Mm-hmm. So we came up with a solution. For us, that solution was to have me do that work. So we did a complete role reversal and it was amazing that first month. So Natalie was like, I'm going to spend money and you can just tell me, you know, how much we're spending and if we're on track. And for me, I'm a super competitive person. So that first month when I kept track of the budget, we had like one day left and maybe like $50 to spend. I'm like, Natalie, we cannot spend any more money today because we need to stay within our parameters. And it's, it was so funny to see that complete shift like in personality and view on money from my standpoint where I was the one spending and not really caring what we were spending per month to having Natalie be the one who felt like more empowered to just, I'm going to go to a restaurant. I'm going to go to a happy hour with my girlfriends. And uh-huh. you can tell me if we're on track or not. I think that's incredible. And I, I love that the two of you were aware enough and open enough to to play role reversal and to go into that and to really feel that and to see how how much you shift it actually. And and as you share that, I I know that's been true for my wife and I. I was very diligent about managing cash flow and, and money when we met. She was finishing grad school in dentistry. And then as our relationship evolved, she she is more detail-oriented by nature. And I am less. And so, and I thought, you know, she, so she started managing it. But man, as soon as I stopped man, managing and looking at the finances, like my sense of financial freedom went through the roof. I, I will also own to degrees of irresponsibility at times. So, this is, I think the point is 
being able to work with the money and having a shared sense of responsibility around the finances. If one person's stuck monitoring and managing and has to be the finger wagger, I think that creates an imbalance over time. And so if you can kind of find ways to to ebb and flow and to really figure out what it's like to to have that responsibility of monitoring the cash flow and providing that feedback. Oh man, the number of fights that could be saved. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we we certainly have learned a lot about each other and even just learning what it takes to track household finances. There's still things about the finances that I handle that Dan doesn't, but it, it is a little bit more equal because before I was kind of handling everything, which felt like the burden was also me. I like how you said, you know, the finger wagging, like that's so true. I'd be like, Dan, we can't do that. And I felt like I'm the no person. And it's just like with your work, burnout is a thing. You can get burnt out from doing the finances. You could get burnt Mm -hmm. out from doing the grocery planning every week. Like just as a couple in general, I think we would all benefit from checking in on what we're what we're doing, what we're managing, and and if we need to do a little bit of a switch. I you know I don't I feel like those ideas have all been so close in my head, but you just brought them together in such a beautiful way, Natalie. Is the burnout of financial res- household responsibility? You didn't quite say those words, but you can be burned out in the role or the job of household financial manager. And it, it is this. I think you know where I'm at in my journey with money is trying to find this middle zone between hypervigilance and monitoring and tracking tightly and all the time and thinking about it and chaos, not thinking about it, not worrying about it, hands up in the air. And what is that middle zone of awareness without obsession where I I have lived in that obsessive ruminating, checking balances all the time space. And I have lived on the other side of, I'm not thinking about it at all. Haven't looked at the financial plan. Haven't looked at net worth statements or investments for years. Yes. (laughs) Eek. Yes. <laughs> uh, so uh, I think maybe the, the story from my perspective, and I'm curious about your y'all's perspective as we wrap this this time together up, is we evolve and we mature in the way we manage money. Is that what you guys are seeing in, in your journey with money and working together? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Go ahead, Yeah, Dan. I totally agree. Um, I think for, for me, I've evolved as a, a person with my money relationship over the last few years, especially since starting our, our business, it helped me self-reflect on who I was as a person, how I was raised with what money, how I thought my experiences with money in the past impacted me today. Mm. And I came to the realization that, you know, maybe I was a little bit more of a, a spendthrift and understanding why that came to be growing up in a, a family where gift giving was really big. And then coming together and realizing and understanding Natalie's story growing up in a frugal family and why money was difficult for her to maybe manage on the day-to-day basis. So understanding where we can step up in our relationships to empower the other person has really, Mm. really uh, impacted where we're at today and who we we have become over the last few years. Mm. Incredible. I don't want this time to come to an end. I feel like we're just getting the ball rolling. So I'm going to go ahead and extend the invitation and say, I'd love to have the two of you back on the podcast in the near future to oh, continue to talk about this. We would love to be back. Thank you so Absolutely. much, Ed. 
Yes. Thank you, Dan and Natalie, for the work that you're doing. And um, it's been wonderful to be with you. If, if you've enjoyed this podcast, feel free to share it with your loved one or a friend or somebody else that you think could also benefit from hearing this conversation. I think Dan and Natalie's humility and honesty is a great role model for all of us in, in that sense of safety to talk about navigating money together. And, and it is so important. And so thank you so much for your time and we'll be in touch. Thank you, Ed. Thanks, Ed. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money. Ed. Ed.